Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Speak it to us in our hearts, please. Have your way inside your people, and may we see the hope, the hope that we have in heaven, whose name is Jesus. He is our anchor. Your word testifies to this, and God, we trust this morning that you are good as your word. Thank you for your promises. Reinforce those this morning as we look to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. There is something to the saying that a man is only as good as his word. And I'm going to assume this morning that each of you has at times been let down by someone who did not keep their word. And probably over time, after you experienced those letdowns, you stopped believing what that person would say to you. They would make a promise, and you thought to yourself, or maybe even said it out loud, I'll believe it when I see it. Those promises that they made over time, after they didn't keep them, they just weren't worth very much in your mind. And we're being told in this passage that I just read that God is as good as his word. He's good as his word. And what your faith ultimately comes down to is, do you believe what God has promised to you? Do you believe his promises? Do you believe that he is as good as his word? He keeps his word, keeps his promises, and he will not let you down. And are you willing to stake your life upon the promises that God has made? Do you trust the God who says to you all that he does that you have in Jesus Christ? And do you change your purpose, your way of living, your aims in life because of what he says? Do you stake all that you are on what God says? Is your life arranged by the belief in him who has made those promises to you and says that they are kept up there in heaven for you in Jesus Christ, that Jesus has come to be the guarantor, the anchor of all the claims that God has made? 
last week, we looked at a group of people who did not believe in the promises of God. Israel in the wilderness. God told them that he would bring them up out of Egypt by his own power, and he did. He kept his word. And then he promised that he would give them a new land. He never gave any of these people any reason to believe that he would not keep his promises to them. He cared for them, delivered them from their enemies, and brought them. And maybe we can more reasonably say he dragged them while they were complaining out of Egypt all the way to the doorstep of the promised land. But when those people saw the size of the men who lived in that land, what did they do? They were afraid. They said, we are like grasshoppers compared to them. They will squash us if we go in. So in that moment, God's word and his promises were cast overboard as if they were nothing. All that he had done before then did not matter. All they could see in that moment was there in front of them. And they did not believe what their God had said, that he would be faithful to give them that land in spite of what their eyes were seeing. So here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, the writer says that his hope for these people is that they will not be sluggish like Israel was. Don't be sluggish like those people back there and how they responded to God's word. But he says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So who does he have in mind that he wants for them to imitate well, chapter 11 gives us a whole list of people that he does have in mind. But here, in chapter 6, he has just one man for us to look at, and it's Abraham. God made a tremendous promise to Abraham. And the promise that God made to him, he believed it. He staked his life on it. He moved out of his homeland, the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and began to travel to the land of Canaan, the promised place. So Abraham believed that God was going to keep his word and give him that land, but not only did God promise that he was going to give him a land, he promised him what? He promised him inheritance, right? People, people that would come behind him, descendants, those who would receive the promise of the land after him. And Abraham's sitting there thinking to himself, but I don't have any descendants. And by this point, I am old. My wife is old. She's past childbearing days. But he believes. He believes that God is able to keep his word. And he stakes his life upon that promise. And the particular spot in Abraham's life where we're told to look right here in chapter 6 is instructive for us. Verse 14 tells us where exactly in this story we're supposed to put our eyes. It is the place where God says to Abraham these words, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And maybe you have a reference Bible. I've got one right here in front of me. And in your reference Bible, if you look over there in the side column at verse 14, you should see a reference to Genesis 22:17. That's where we are supposed to look in the life of Abraham. 
Genesis 22 is already about 10 chapters into the life of Abraham. So his story has been going on for a while at this point. God has already made those promises to him about the land and the descendants. But God keeps his word by providing that miracle son. It's already taken place. He's already given this old man and his wife, long past childbearing days, a miracle son. And all those promises that God makes to Abraham about a future are wrapped up in this boy named Isaac. But there comes a time in his life where God says to him, I want you to take your son Isaac up on the mountain and offer him up as a sacrifice. So here he tells Abraham to sacrifice his promised son. Again, all the promises wrapped up in this boy, and you are to go up on the mountain and kill him. That's what God says to him. And you can imagine the dilemma that's going on there in Abraham's mind. But, you know, God, you made a promise to me. It was all going to come to, to come to pass in this son. And now you're saying that I need to go up and offer him as a sacrifice. And we can speculate if we want to, I guess, about all the things that must have gone through the mind of this old man as he was told to do this unthinkable thing. But the scriptures see fit to say nothing of Abraham agonizing over it. We don't read any of that. If you were to go back and read what is said in Genesis 22, you'll see that Abraham packed up all of his things, collected Isaac, some of the servants, some animals, and just began to travel toward the mountain. A couple of questions are asked along the way. Abraham answers it. We're going up there to make a sacrifice. Tells his servants, me and the boy will come back. Pretty amazing that in this moment, Abraham is trusting in the word of God. That even though he can't see it with his eyes, exactly what God is going to do to keep his promise, he believes that he will. He's trusting in the character of his God. And Abraham gets up there on top of the mountain. He ties that boy to the altar. He raises the knife. It's time. And God stops him right there in that moment. We are told later in Hebrews chapter 11 that when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son and Abraham went to do it, he did so because he did believe that God was going to keep his promise. And on the surface, it appeared as though God was taking back his word, that God was not as good as his word. It might have looked like that on the surface, that Abraham was not going to have all those descendants and that all of his hopes would be lost up there on top of the mountain when he stuck that knife into his son. But that was not Abraham's mindset at all. We're told there in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. 
if that's what it required. Even if he had to follow through with the sacrificing of his son, he believed so much in God's word that he would raise him up. That's how much he trusted in his God. Because when it came right down to it, that's all Abraham had. That's all he had. He had the promises of God, the belief that God is going to do what he says. He had witnessed this God already acting in his life by giving him this son. He knew that it was a miracle. He had witnessed God's power again in the destruction of Sodom when fire rained down from above. He has seen his God in action. But here he is called to believe in the faithfulness of God to keep his incredible promises to the people of God. And that's what Abraham does. And that is what the writer of this book of Hebrews sees that's what he knows. He looks back and sees Abraham and how he responded to God's word. And that is what he is imploring these people, and God is imploring these people today to do. To do what Hebrews 6.12 says, to be imitators, imitators of those like Abraham who have by patience inherited the promises. That's what we're called to do. Not to look at Israel or not to do like Israel. Look to Israel as an example of what not to do. Fall in the wilderness because they did not believe the word of God. The incredible promise of God that in spite of whatever they saw, that he would do as he says. But to look to Abraham, who followed through all the way, right here on top of the mountain, ready to sacrifice his son because he so believed in the word of God. So again, the question does come to us this morning. Do we believe the word of God like that? And are we willing to stake everything about our lives upon it? Not just when it makes sense to us, right? Because when things just make sense, when we see with our eyes what's out there in front of us, we follow what we see, we're not necessarily trusting in God's word. We trust in God's word when we see things that don't line up with what he says. That's when the rubber meets the road. How many times have you had a moment where the thought pops into your mind, what if all this Christianity stuff is not true? Ever had that thought come into your mind before? Like, man, <laughs> kind of shakes you a little bit. The Apostle Paul even says that if all this is not true, then we Christians are of all the people in the world to be the most pitied. Because we could just be out there indulging all of our fleshly appetites, getting whatever we can out of the world in the short time that we are here, just doing what feels best, you know? That's what the world implores us to do, is it not? Follow your heart. Follow your desires. But we know that our hearts can lead us astray. And so we do not do as the world does. Why? Because we have been given promises. And we believe that God keeps his promises. 
And what he promises to us changes the way that we live right here and now. And we need to be reminded of men like Abraham, who we're told in verse 15, says that he waited patiently for what God had promised, and by faith he obtained it. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble before by trying to go out and kind of take what you think you should have instead of waiting for what God wants to give? I have. It's there in your mind. You see a path to get it. You're just going to go out there and take. Abraham was not like this. He waited. Actually, he was in some ways, wasn't he? And he got himself in trouble with, with Hagar and Ishmael. He learned his lesson. Hopefully we have learned ours too, but that's not what Hebrews is telling us, even though we might know a little more of the story. We are to imitate what he does right here with Isaac, believing that God was going to keep his word. And God didn't just make a promise to Abraham, we're told. It says that he confirmed it by giving him an oath. By giving an oath. And that's what people do, don't they? Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and they want to give you something just a little bit extra, a little gravy on top, just in case you don't believe them and what they're saying? Children do what? They say, you know, pinky promise, you know, just in case you think my word is trash, my pinky, like as if that means anything. Adults find something a little more serious than pinkies. They swear on what? I swear on my mother's grave. They swear on, swear on their own lives. We're told here in this passage that the standard practice is to swear by something greater than yourself. You swear by something bigger than you, right? Something that will hold you accountable to your word. But look at what we're told in verse 17. It says that when God wanted to show more convincingly that his promises are true, he confirmed it with an oath too. And back in Genesis chapter 22, after Abraham had believed and obeyed and had stopped from sacrificing his son, God's words were to him, by myself I have sworn. That's the oath that he's talking about here. By myself I swear. Because there was nothing greater for God to swear by. What was he going to say? I swear by that mountain over there. I mean, like, there's nothing for God to swear by that is greater than him. He swore by himself. You've surely heard somebody say before that they swear to God, right? Probably hear that every day. I swear to God. And the way that that is thrown around and abused makes it seem pretty casual, but it is not. That is not a casual thing to say. There is nothing more serious that one could swear an oath with than the name of God. And not to keep it is blasphemy. God is telling us that here because he confirms his promise to Abraham by swearing by himself. And because we are heirs of the promise that God made to Abraham, God is swearing also to us. He's encouraging us to believe what we have heard from him and hold fast to our hope 
we have God's word as our promise. Well, what is it that we've been told to believe? What promises has God made to us? I want you to think with me for a moment about Isaac. If you know anything about his story, I've told you just a little bit about it this morning. You know, that God promised Abraham that he was going to give him a miracle son. But he says that through that son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That blessing would come to the world through Isaac, through that one boy. And then that day came when that son Isaac was taken away to the mountain. It was called Moriah. He was going to be sacrificed up there on top of that mountain. But that day when that sacrifice did not take place and God provided a ram in the place of Isaac, it was as if Abraham had received his son back from the dead. That's actually what Hebrews 11 tells us, that in a sense he received Isaac back from the dead. Do any of these things ring a bell at all to you? What might God be showing us through the life of Isaac? But the life of Isaac, the promised son, points us to a greater promised son. A promised son who would be conceived miraculously, in whom all of the promises of God the Father are kept, who was sacrificed, by the way, on or near Mount Moriah. So where Isaac was to be offered up was where Jerusalem would be someday. And then, this amazing son was raised from the dead. Our salvation and the promises of God were hinging on the life of Isaac that day, way back when. Because it was through him, through this son, that Jesus would come. And so we share in that promise and the oath that God makes there to Abraham. We are promised extraordinary things, are we not, from this God. All of our hopes are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. But I ask you this morning, have you ever seen Jesus with your eyes? You put your eyes on Jesus before? Has he appeared to you face to face and spoken to you? If not... Why do you believe in him? Why? It's because in your heart, the testimony of God is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save a sinner like you. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he right now has been, he has ascended into heaven. And he currently serves as your high priest up there. You have not seen any of that. And yet you believe. You are trusting in the word of your God. And to be honest with you, that's all you've got. Now he's testifying in your heart. 
And I'm not doubting the fact that he's answered your prayers. But you know what the world does with that? They just say, that's coincidence. They say, that junk happens with me too. And they just chalk it up to whatever. And we could as well. But we know better. Because we believe in the promise of God. Our faith holds fast to Jesus Christ in whom we have never seen with our eyes, but we have seen by faith, have we not? That's what we are called to imitate in this man, Abraham. And just as all of his hopes were wrapped up in that promised son, all of our hopes are wrapped up in a better one. One of the most striking illustrations and encouragements of this particular truth are given at the end of this passage right here in verses 19 and 20. Look at it with me again. It's wonderful. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God is confirming by his promise and his oath that you really do have a Savior who is currently on the other side of that heavenly curtain, that he's there right now, and that he looks down and he sees everything that his people are doing here. He's there serving. He's there hearing He's there leading on our behalf. And all that you have been told that Christ has done is confirmed by the fact that he has been received into the holy of holies in heaven, that his work as a servant on earth has been finished, it was completed there at the cross, and that he continues to serve us right now as our priest, our heavenly hope hinges on the fact that that would be true. And God speaks in his word today, and he is confirming that it is true to his people. Do you believe it? Because I'm telling you, that is what you have. Faith in what God has promised to you. And the picture that we're given here is that of an anchor. And we understand the basic truth of gravity in this room, do we not? That anchors plunge downward. They sink down into things. Ships sink their anchors down deep so that they can be kept firmly in their place. But I want you to use your imagination just a little bit. We are being told that our anchor has ascended into heaven that's where our anchor is, beyond this world. And it's as if the chain, if you could almost, again, use your imagination a little bit, it's almost as if the chain goes up away and then disappears at some point, and you cannot see the other side. So here you are holding on to the chain. You can't see the rest of it, but your faith says to you that the anchor is plunged deep into the Holy of Holies up there in the tabernacle of heaven, held fast by Jesus Christ that he is our anchor. I can't see the other side, but I know that it's there. And all of my hopes 
rest in the fact that that is true, that he is there right now serving on behalf of his people. Now, can my eyes see that? No. All I can see is this world. There's a veil in between me and heaven. But my faith says my Savior is there. He is there, and he is upholding this very faith that we have right now by the word of his power. The only reason that I continue to believe that this morning is because Jesus Christ is there serving on my behalf and yours. That's our anchor, lodged there on the other side of the veil. And that faith that we have is going to be tried in times of crisis, is it not? And those times of crisis will come and may be there for some of you right now. Like the day when Abraham was told to go and offer up his son. That was a day of crisis if there ever has been one. And so for us, what does that look like? Sicknesses come into our lives. Wayward children financial desperation, persecution, especially on our brothers and sisters around the world right now, sinful choices and all the destruction that comes with it. Have you ever had any dreams that were dashed? Tragic death, pandemics, economic crisis, wars, and rumors of wars, all of those things come into the lives of God's people, testing our faith. And the temptation in all of those and whatever other crisis may come is for you to believe and follow only what your eyes can see, only what my eyes can see. As if all your hopes rest down here in this place, the temptation to give in and live like everybody else does, to pursue earthly gain or earthly pleasure at the expense to cash in all of what you have been promised in heaven. That is the temptation. And if you've not experienced that day, it's coming at some point. Will you hold fast to your hope with the faith that you have that Jesus Christ really is there in heaven for you? That everything that you read in this book, everything that God says has taken place, actually has. And that you have been bought at a price with his blood. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it changes the way you live in this world. Your life will bear fruit to it. And again, that's what this writer here is concerned about. These people are showing some, some doubts, some frustrations, a willingness to give in. Maybe to go backward. He says, you must go forward like this man, Abraham, by faith. So the encouragement for us this morning is do not give in. Do not give in. Are any of you tempted to today? You simply need to be told and encouraged that God has promised and he is faithful. He's faithful. He is as good as his word, and eternity will prove it. The Son of God is there. 
Look to him by faith this morning. Follow him. Love him. Obey him as the captain of your soul. And the great ship of God's promises where all your hopes are anchored. And may God's word and his promises have its way in everyone who is here this morning. Heavenly Father, we must confess that there are times in life when we begin to be weak in the knees, weak in faith. We are tempted on all sides to look to what we see with our eyes and not look to Jesus Christ where all of our hopes for the future are found. Everything of eternal value is wrapped up in him. And yet we get so distracted and we look at everything else. And we pray this morning that you would right the ship of our faith and sink our anchors into Christ and order everything in our lives after the claims that have been made to us by you. there's sin in our hearts and in this room, correct it. Lead us to repent. If our faith is weak, we pray, God, that you would strengthen it. Please use the church to be the church, to surround the people here, to encourage them to walk by faith out in this world where there are many dangers, toils, and snares. And as we sang this morning, God, your grace is amazing. And may we look to you. So, Lord, as we continue to worship this morning and close this time out, we ask, God, that as we leave this place, that you would make this people at Cass Church a strong people who have their hopes where they need to be. And it's where our anchor is. And his name is Jesus. And we ask it all in his name. Amen.